Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We appreciate being a part of your day. Looking at the world of agriculture, there is a lot of news on the table today. We're seeing the grain markets down slightly to start the day. Corn and soybeans, both lower wheat, also running lower on the day. We're seeing a little bit of strength in the livestock markets, at least the cattle complex. Live and feeders up a little. Lean hogs down slightly. We'll talk markets later on in the program. Arlen Suderman from StoneX will be joining here in segment three, and I've got a feeling we'll also be discussing some of the data released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, notably the Producer Price Index, the measure of inflation paid to U.S. producers. Boy, record jump, 11.2% year-over-year higher in March, 1.4% higher than February. Inflation is still driving discussions in the markets. I'm sure Arlen will have some insight on inflation, and tomorrow... We're going to talk with Jason Miller, professor of business at Michigan State University, about that issue. Also on today's show, we're going to speak with Dave Gebhardt. He is the general manager of Earth Day Agro. They're providing free satellite imagery for crop growing regions around the world. We're going to talk about the technology they're using. And in segment four, Greg Solier, ag meteorologist from This Week in Agribusiness, will join us. Severe weather threat ongoing across large parts of the country. Greg will let us know who needs to be alert as this day moves forward. Forward. Before we talk about all of that, though, we are going to begin with a discussion. Folks, this time of year, spring is in the air. It's planting time for most of our listeners here involved in row crop agriculture. Our next guest has a question. What if it weren't planting time? What if it were just spring, but we weren't putting crops in the ground because they were perennials. It's an interesting concept and it's coming to reality. Joining me today is Tessa Peters. She's the Director of Crop Stewardship at the Land Institute. And Tessa, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Let's talk about the Land Institute. How long have you guys been around and what are your goals? Yeah, the Land Institute was founded in 1976 um, by Dana and Wes Jackson, who had a vision that um, they, you know, they were really inspired by natural systems and they looked at the tall grass prairie of Kansas in particular and noticed two, two things. Those ecosystems were dominated by perennial um, diverse systems. And so they thought, well, what if we had an agricultural system that, that mimicked that, that was dominated by perennials and that was dominated by diversity? So the Land Institute has spent the last 40 years um, really trying to create grain crops that can be, that, that are perennial and that could be grown um, in diverse mixtures. And you've had some success. I recently saw some headlines about Kernza. This is the, the grain that you've developed at the Land Institute. Tessa, tell us what make, makes Kernza unique. So Kernza is the grain um, that is produced by intermediate wheatgrass. Um, some, of your, some of your listeners will probably be familiar with intermediate wheatgrass. It's grown widely in the U.S. as a forage, um, but what we've done at the Land Institute is to make selections for, you know, larger seed size and better yield, and um, and what we've got is a crop that is still, you know, relatively low yielding compared with, with wheat and those kinds of things, but, you know, considering that we've only been working on the breeding for 20 versus 10,000 years, um, we're making good strides in, in trying to, to fill that gap. Um, and essentially, the, it is a small grain. It's about a third the size of wheat and can be used um, in lots of, lots of baking and other kinds of um, uses, just, just like wheat. Uh, well, the baking quality is a little bit different, but nonetheless, it, it can be added to um, flowers and all kinds of products. So Kernza would be a wheat uh, replacement, effectively, in the marketplace. Is that as growers grow more of it, they'd be marketing it 
as wheat, would that be right? Or do you envision Kernza as an entirely separate grain that would have its own market fundamentals? I think that it would probably be its, its own grain. Because it does perform a little bit differently than wheat, I don't see it as a straight one-to-one -one, um, replacement, but it does have some real benefits. It has a very unique flavor that's very good. Um, and it's and it also has for growers the benefit of still being able to be used as a forage. So particularly in, in times of drought and things like that, it, it provides um, that secondary benefit for growers. So. And I Tessa, I understand with Kernza being a perennial, you've got the opportunity for extensive root growth. Can you talk about some of the agronomic advantages? Yeah, well, so as a perennial grass, it has roots that can extend up to 10 feet into the, into the soil profile and um, potentially access nutrients and water from that lower profile because, um, it's because of those deep roots. Um, additionally, just having that root in the soil, of course, is, is really fantastic for erosion control. So the number one thing we can do to prevent soil from, from leaving your fields is keeping a living root in that soil. And so that's one of the real benefits of having um, perennial grains on the landscape is, is the reduction in soil loss. Um, Kernza is also a really good ni nitrogen scavenger. So um, in places like the state of Minnesota, they've used the, the state has incentivized growers um, in wellhead protection areas and drinking water management areas to, to plant Kernza because it does a good job of scavenging nitrogen. Um, and requires, and in those situations would require less nitrogen to be added to the field than some of the annual crops. So less of it will end, less of that nitrogen ends up in the water supply. Tessa, how is the rollout of Kernza going? I know you've got acres planted here across the country. Bring us up to speed. Yeah, there are about 3,957 acres in the ground right now. Um, we are hoping that probably in the next five years, each of those years will will double in that. So we expect we expect to see um, a pretty strong growth in terms of supply over the over the coming five to ten years. Um, we've been really careful to try and build a market at the same time um, to ensure that that you know growers and processors are able to maintain a livelihood while the while the supply builds. So we don't want to just see the market flooded um, with so much grain that the price drops out and we're and we're unable to keep to for growers to make a living. That makes sense. Obviously, we've got to be sustainable and we got to make money to do that. Tessa, if listeners here want to learn a little bit more about Kernza or explore it for their operation, where can they go for more information? They can go to Kernza.org um, or to thelandinstitute.org. Either of those places has lots of information on um, Kernza and the other perennial grain crops that we work on. Fantastic, folks. Check those out if you're looking to diversify your operation. Tessa Peters, Director of Crop Stewardship with the Land Institute. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk satellite imagery with Dave Gebhardt from Earth Day Agro when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. 
Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. University trials and grower use proves that adding tough 5EC to the post-tank mix significantly improves the control of resistant weeds such as palmer amaranth, water hemp, and kochia. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide that synergizes with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. I'm excited to be talking about all of the things happening in agriculture, and I appreciate you joining us today. One of the themes that has been discussed not only on this program, but in headlines and major news outlets around the world for the better part of the last six months are the twin crises we see developing. The food crisis, we're seeing uh, you know, starvation in Africa, we're seeing higher prices for food all around the world, and the fuel crisis, we're seeing energy prices continue to climb. All of those, as we look at the energy side, inflation, or excuse me, ethanol's getting pulled into it and supplies of grains globally are getting tight. We're seeing that each and every day as we take a look at these futures markets, and that has traders concerned more than ever about the availability of upcoming supplies. Well, companies around the world are turning to technology to measure those upcoming supplies and how conditions look in the field. One of those companies is Earth Daily Agro, formerly known as Geosys. Joining me now is Dave Gebhardt. He's the general manager at Earth Daily. And Dave, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Mike. Pleasure to be here. Let's talk about the work that Earth Daily Agro does. What are you guys doing with the satellites? Yeah, so we are an agriculture-focused Earth observation company. As you mentioned, we were formerly known as uh, Geosys, founded uh, 35 years ago. And we use um, real-time satellite imagery and weather data to monitor global crop conditions uh, worldwide. So, uh, so we, uh, our leadership is mainly made up of uh, agronomists, and you know, I, I grew up on a farm in southern Minnesota, and uh, so it's in our DNA, and it's part of our core values to uh, to really keep an eye on things that are going on in agriculture, and we're using satellite imagery to uh, keep an eye on the global food production and food supply. Dave, you mentioned Geosys, 35 years old, and you're continuing to use satellites. For those of us who are, are ground-based, have never been into space and don't spend much time with that sector of the industry, how has the satellite technology changed here in the past three to five years? Are you guys able to capture better visuals than ever before? Oh, yeah, you bet. So, you know, we've evolved. Like I said, we've been doing this for for quite some time. Um, you know, we we 
use satellite imagery to basically use the the crops and the plants as as sensors. So so we 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 sense and really measure what's going on from a from a crop perspective, both the health and the vigor of, of various crops, different crops uh, worldwide. So we we collect uh, and and calculate something called an NDVI, which is sort of a, a measure of crop health and. And this is measured globally uh, every day. And then, and then, and then we also use that that uh, historical data. We have about thirty years of historical data from vegetation and weather, where we can go back in time and look at sort of analogous years, years that look like what ha what's happening this year in in the twenty twenty two growing season. It helps us detect trends and helps us to make predictions of uh, what the future outcomes might look like. So. Uh, yeah, the thing, the the satellite imagery is is evolved. Our technology's evolved, and uh, we're able to bring uh, bigger, better, faster insights than ever before. And you're getting those insights out to the people. The reason I wanted to have you on today is because Earth Daily Analytics is providing free, ongoing monitoring of the global supply chain. Dave, can you talk to us a little bit about where you see challenges developing in that global supply chain so far? Yeah, for sure. So, of course, we we're looking at at really three different categories of countries, right? So we again we we put out uh, we we have a service. We put out weekly reports. We have experts that uh, uh, you can visit with, and we, we're we're really working to uh, support food security organiza organizations, those that are looking to uh, you know get the food in the right place at the right time. And uh, and yes, the, of course, the the uh, the war in Ukraine has brought a lot of this uh, to to the headlines. So we're focused on really three categories of countries. So those that produce the same crops as Ukraine. So again, big producers of, of wheat and barley, and sunflowers, uh, corn. So uh, we're, of course, we're looking at uh, at the United States as an example, the Western U.S. Uh, those that rely on imports from Ukraine, um, Ukraine, again, that's sort of the breadbasket of Europe. And uh, and that's, uh, you know, a lot of the grain doesn't make it uh, around the world, but there are, there are countries that uh, very much rely uh, on the imports from, from that area. And then really the, the at-risk developing nations, and those are some of the countries in, uh, for example, in Northern Africa and, and Morocco and some of these areas, which have their own issues. You know, they're they're already facing droughts, and then to to cut off this supply, um, it really puts their uh, populations at risk. So it's really not just about uh, this is really about saving lives. It's really about having food for people. Uh, it, yes, of course, it influences prices and pricing and availability in other parts of the world, but you know, we're really trying to help the food security organizations that are that are really trying to take action and and to help people on the ground. Yeah, and that is key, as you mentioned, that Ukrainian conflict driving wheat concerns. And you guys have been watching the Ukraine uh, NDVI, and it, it looks like if they can get to the field, Dave, it, it sounds like moisture looks good. According to your report, the rain should reappear, should be decent growing conditions if they're not shelled out of the fields, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, we uh, again, we are working with uh, companies directly on the ground. We have uh, we have customers there. We have uh, employees there. Um, and, and it's uh, it's one of the very uh, one of the very uh, core uh, values of our company and, and it really is again as a farmer from southern minnesota i mean we all have stories where you know if, if a farmer needs help or goes down there's you know 50 standing ready to to help them out and and that's the spirit we're trying to bring uh, bring to this so so yes uh, you know locally what's happening there now um, conditions aren't looking terrible but we also uh, some of the farmers are actually uh, uh, flying drones over their fields to to basically clear them to make sure that there are uh, there aren't any dangers out there you know like uh, unexploded you know kind of uh, you know mines and these sorts of things so it's it's a very different type of farm uh, farming but you know we we hope to help them through the season so it's uh, it's about providing recommendations uh, around uh, seeding rates and 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 how to plant but also using our ongoing uh, daily satellite imagery to you know really help them uh, optimize the uh, the inputs again fertilizer uh, is scarce or expensive or non non-existent fuel 
is very uh, hard to to come by. So you know every trip across a field needs to be high value, high impact, and uh, and our technology can really help uh, you know help them make those decisions locally on the ground uh, to optimize their resources. And it's all about getting that crop secured. And so to that end, Dave, I understand Earth Daily also runs a buyer monitor. So looking at, at the buyers of commodity crops around the world. And I bring this up because Egypt's in the news again. They've just tendered for an additional wheat import. Looking at your data, did their wheat crop look a little short in your mind? Well, uh, that's I guess that's what I, I'm not as close to that uh, that country and that data as uh, as our analysts are, but uh, that would lead me to believe yes that that would uh, drive their decisions after looking at that that report. So, you know, the great thing about this report is it's available uh, to anyone right now. If, at our, if you go to our website or blog on EarthDailyAgro.com, um, you can get to that information, and and I'm sure that this is the type of information that that uh, folks are looking at to make those kinds of of uh, buying decisions. Indeed, and let's talk about how Earth Daily will be utilizing this imagery. You'll be pulling it in and then issuing these reports and these this analysis. How often do you folks plan to publish your reports? Yep, so that's a great that's a great question. So you know. Listen, the, the crops change uh, daily, but you know the information. You know we're uh, really in agriculture moves at a little slower pace than that. But really, about a we're looking at about a two week cadence uh, for putting our publication and report out there, and and that's usually sufficient enough to to see changes in the crop and see you know trends and and, and more importantly, again to to, to give people information uh, to take action uh, for how to uh, to optimize their their uh, cropping seasons. So, so yes, every two weeks uh, we'll be pushing this out and, and uh, hopefully it, uh, it put, gets in the right hands of people that can really use it to, to help the situation on the ground in Ukraine. Dave, let's look a little longer term for Earth Daily Agro. As you think about where this imaging industry is headed, what are you excited about? Yeah, this is, this is, that's an awesome question. We, Here's here's a little history. You know, about a dozen years ago, while we were creating tools that 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 within seconds could create a a variability map of a field, and that was awesome. I mean, it was really a way to have a, an engaging discussion with a farmer about about the personality of their field, the variability, what the potential that field was, and uh, and that really helped us position the right products in the right place and really help them manage that uh, that season. Now, we're really evolving from from is we're evolving from the math, from the maps, the yeah. map. So it's really not about imagery, it's about data-driven insights. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. On-road or off-road, you'll find the FS lubricant you need from our full line of premium quality products. At FS, our lubricants use the highest quality base oils and latest additive technology to meet and exceed most manufacturer specifications. Advanced protection against wear ensures you'll get maximum value from both your lubricant and equipment investments. Squeeze every bit of performance out of every piece of equipment you own. Let the FS energy specialists help you go further. Go further with FS. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we take a look at the market trades so far on this Wednesday, we see the grain markets trading their way moderately lower, hogs lower as well, with cattle futures trading their way higher. Now we see that wheat prices are sagging the most. Tuesday's announcement from President Joe Biden that sales of E15 would continue through summer got a lot of attention, but it's not having a significant impact on prices either for corn or crude oil. Speaking of crude oil, back up about 1% here again today, up $1.19 a barrel at 101.79. Inflation is again the focus after yesterday's data showed a rise in the headline inflation level at the consumer level to a fresh 
40-year high. We have more data coming out today. The VIX trading near 24 here this morning, reflecting elevated anxiety levels among Wall Street. Now, we continue to watch some of the other same factors in this uh, grain and livestock trade as we move forward. Demand side of the picture, we're watching uh, the demand rising, stocks drawing down, the Ukraine-Russia war is out there. We have weather as well, a big focus for not only safrina corn pollination in Brazil, but planting in the Midwest and for drought-stricken areas of the Plains winter wheat belt as well. Taking a look at some numbers right now, May corn down 8 768 and a quarter. May soybeans down 14, 1656 and a quarter. May bean meal down 440 a ton, 45650. May bean oil nine points higher, 7552. May Chicago wheat down 15 to three quarters, 1088. May Kansas City wheat down 19 and a quarter, 1143. May spring wheat down 11, 1145 and a quarter. April live cattle 45 higher, 14040. April feeder cattle up 135, 159.10. And hogs for April down 12, 99.50. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma. Not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility. Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for tuning in to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mike Pearson. I really appreciate you joining us. Didn't have a chance to get to Dave's um, website here in the last segment, Earth Day Agro. You can find them online right at their name, Earth Daily Agro, A-G-R-O. You can check them out and keep up on that satellite imagery. But now it's time to turn our focus to the markets. And folks, we had news this morning. Producer prices up 11.2% higher than most economists and analysts were anticipating. We've also got the grain markets moving, livestock also moving to help make sense of it all. Joining me now is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with StoneX. Arlen, thanks for joining us today. Good to be back with you, Mike. That producer price number from this morning, 11.2%. That was stronger than a lot of folks were expecting. Arlen, is inflation here to stay for a while? You know, I said a year ago there was nothing transitory. Well, not nothing transitory. That this is more than transitory. is more persistent inflation, and that's certainly, unfortunately, proved to be the case. The transitory aspects of it are generally tied to supply chain problems coming out of the pandemic, and that was certainly a part of it, but there were many other aspects to this inflation problem that went long beyond that. If you look at what creates inflation, it, its bottom line is, to kind of boil it down, it's demand exceeds supply. And the focus over the past year by many of our leaders in government as well as at the central bank had been, well, demand is exceeding supply because supply is the problem. But they failed to acknowledge the problem of demand. Yes, we did have supply chain bottlenecks related to coming out of the pandemic. But why did they put all the stimulus into the economy in the first place? I'm talking about both monetary and fiscal stimulus. Trillions of dollars, the Fed balance sheet, which represents stimulus in the economy, is up around $9 trillion. That doesn't even count what the Congress has done. They did it to increase demand, to 
elevate demand at a level that would keep our economy going. Now, some of that may have been necessary. I'm not debating that. But when you artificially increase demand above levels that the supply chains were designed to be able to handle in the first place, and you do that on top of um, the supply chain issues we have coming out of the pandemic, you're going to have inflation. And when you keep that stimulus in there, that's going to continue to give you persistent inflation for quite some time. And that's exactly what we've done. Now, central bankers seem to have finally recognized that. And now, they're making public statements that we need to get aggressive, is the words they use, in withdrawing that stimulus. The question is, has our economy become so addicted to it that withdrawing it would pull us into recession? That's the big debate. This is unprecedented territory. We've never been in this type of a situation before created by all the stimulus coming in. And so that's the challenge right now. Um, I said a year ago that the, that the Fed needed to start getting aggressive with um, a tightening in interest rate hikes in order to bring inflation under control when it was much lower and the economy was growing aggressively. Well, now the economy's growth is slowing down and inflation is much higher. And generally, in order to get inflation under control, you have to take interest rates above the level of inflation to do that. Some of us who were around in the 70s and early 80s remember when Paul Volcker did that and we saw interest rates rushing toward that $20 or 20% level. The problem is... If we do that now, it'll blow up the federal budget because our amount of debt uh, obligations for paying the interest on our national debt is so great right now that if we would raise interest rates above what is the interest uh, inflation rate right now, uh, our entire federal budget would basically go toward uh, paying interest on our debt. So they have a real problem in front of them. They certainly do, Arlen. And with the two uh, most noticeable places of that persistent inflation being both food and energy, farmers are really at the crux of it. President Joe Biden announced yesterday the emergency waiver to allow E-15 sales all summer. Arlen, does that do much to change your balance sheet for corn demand? It really doesn't. It may add another 25 to 50 million bushels of demand for corn, and um, I'm sure farmers will be happy to take that demand. But what is really necessary if you're going to significantly impact that demand would be to make it permanent rather than just a, a temporary waiver. And there's legal reasons why they didn't. But I'm saying the um, most filling stations don't want to make the changes in their infrastructure for 15% ethanol unless it's going to be a permanent change. And then they're willing, more willing to make the investment. And that could have a more significant impact on demand for corn. Of course, global corn supplies are tight right now, and that's one reason we have prices where they are. That's true. Arlen, as you think about the economics of the ethanol industry, does allowing E15 change their balance sheets based on the conversations you've had with folks in that space? Is this a, a profit center for them here through the summer? Should we see basis stay strong? Well, it, it helps, but it's not a significant factor at this point. There's a lot of other factors that are probably bigger than the E15. It's just that from their standpoint, the E15 waiver is a step in the right direction. So when it comes to Washington, you do things incrementally. And so they're hoping, okay, now we've got the waiver for the summer. Now we start working on getting it to be permanent. And uh, so it's an incremental gain for the industry. Let's turn the focus over to wheat. Arlen, we continue to see terrible wheat condition coming out from the uh, crop uh, progress reports. Wheat's down today. Where do you see the wheat market headed here, specifically winter wheat? Yeah, if you look at the just today's market, you think, oh, things must be bearish. But this is really just a, a profit-taking pullback in the market after the recent strong gains. It's mostly an inside trading days, we would say, to this point. In other words, the lead contracts are primarily trading inside the previous day's trading range. Um, so just a little bit of a pullback and a correction, a little bit of profit-taking in there. World wheat supplies are still tight, and there's still a great deal of concern about the hard red winter wheat crop in the plains as well as the smaller spring wheat acreage. 
So the market still has an incentive to try to reallocate that demand. We saw an Egyptian tender for wheat this morning uh, with some outstandingly high prices um, for wheat, just showing how much it costs to be an importer of wheat right now. But the problem is wheat is a food grain. It's an essential food grain. And uh, so the choice is you pay it or people go hungry, basically. Uh, And so that continues to be support underneath of this market. And what the market's trying to do is generally price wheat out of the feed bunk, not just domestically, but globally, and so they can save the existing wheat supplies for human consumption. And that then, in turn, increases demand for corn and other feed grains, which their supplies are already tight as well. So a little bit of a pullback today. I I wouldn't even be surprised if we ended up trading into positive at some point. All right. Let's look down at South America. Arlen, bean shipments out of Brazil. How are they coming so far this spring? Pretty solid, picking up pace again um, overall. If you look at the bids from Brazil, um, we're basically very competitive with them, about even on the FOB bids uh, at the ports for the month of June. And we have a, in fact, we got a little bit of a discount for the month of June. We're competitive in May, have a little discount in June, and a much more significant discount for July. And so that just is indicative of the fact that uh, available supplies to be exported are starting to tighten up as you go into the summer. Time, our summer time period, and that's why we're seeing China buy more U.S. soybeans along with some of the corn that they're buying, and we're anticipating a, a significant uptick in export shipments. It doesn't have to be that big. If you look at USDA's current export target, we need to ship about 20 million bushels per week the rest of the marketing year through August in order to hit that target. My target is 110 million bushels higher than USDA's, which would require shipping 26 million bushels per week the rest of the marketing year through uh, through August. This past week's shipments rose to 28 million bushels, so even above that level. Not that we're going to get 28 million every week, but I do think that we're going to see strong enough shipments overall to continue to push USDA's export target higher, drawing ending stocks lower. My ending stocks estimate is 196 million bushels versus USDA now at 280, and I think they're going to continue to come my way. Arlen, looking at the soy products, we've seen bean oil be elevated near record prices in most of the summer contracts for at least the month of March. Has bean oil peaked, do you think, or is there still room to move to the upside? Well, I don't think we can say any of these commodities have peaked. I believe it was J.P. Morgan was talking about these commodities may have another 40% higher level in them. The word key word there was may, and I would agree with that. May is a key word. It all depends on how some things play out. That doesn't mean that every asset will go straight up. There may be some that see significant losses, but... Overall, the vegetable oil, the edible oil complex is quite tight. It was that way already before the Ukrainian war. And then when you take 50% of the world's exportable supplies of sunflower oil off the market from Ukraine, and you reduce Russian sunflower oil hitting the world market as well, those customers are scrambling to find other alternatives for edible oils. And that means canola oil, soy oil, etc. So it continues to draw on all of these oils, palm oil in there in that mix as well. And so the potential is still there if we have problems. For example, some weather forecast, uh, not all, some weather forecasts are calling for a, a great growing season in the Midwest this summer, but some of them are calling for something closer to 2012. If we would have that kind of adverse summer in the Midwest giving us a short soybean crop, that would even further tighten edible oil supplies. It would indeed. We'll talk weather when we return with Greg Solyak. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, 
I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. When it comes to your 2022 seed decisions, don't step over the line. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. The Seed Innovation and Protection Alliance membership of 100 companies invest 15% of their sales into product research and development that can take 7 to 16 years, with total costs ranging from $1 million to $140 million for new genetics and or traits. SEPA thanks farmers for buying new seed that not only maximizes yield potential, but also funds the next great seed innovations for U.S. farmers. To anonymously report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. University trials and grower use proves that adding tough 5EC to the post-tank mix significantly improves the control of resistant weeds such as palmer amaranth, water hemp, and kochia. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide that synergizes with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. Hardworking families are feeling pain at the gas pump. Fortunately, American-made ethanol provides some relief. Today, gas with 15% ethanol called E15 is the lowest price fuel available. But E15 will disappear on June 1st unless Washington acts now. Call your lawmakers today and call the White House at 202-456-1111. Tell them we need E15 this summer. We can't afford another price hike at the pump. Brought to you by the Renewable Fuels Association. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in today. Of course, spring is here, which means we are seeing variable and volatile weather across the entire country. To end today's show, joining me now is Greg Solier. He's an ag meteorologist and the chief meteorologist on This Week in Agribusiness. Greg, we're halfway through this historic April blizzard taking place in the Northern Plains. Tell us who's getting the most snow up there in North Dakota. Yeah, yeah, it's still snowing like gangbusters, blowing like gangbusters as far north and northeast as beyond Lake Winnipeg and Winnipeg itself. Uh, you get out towards uh, Belcourt up along the Canadian border, a foot of snow and still snowing there on 50-plus-mile-per-hour winds over towards Minot, uh, reading of 24 degrees and 16 inches of snow, fresh snow there. And uh, winter so far, at least from some of the surface reports over the past hour or so, outside of uh, all the uh, Dickinson area and uh, from there to about New Salem, Bismarck as well, anywhere in a corridor between 10 and 20 inches of snow. The snow beginning to wind down there, but not necessarily the blowing and drifting. Probably, I would think, the, the best way to categorize the storm is really a punishing storm, uh, particularly in through some of the livestock sector, whereas of at least early this week, uh, cows and the calving uh, stage, anywhere between about 38 to 53 percent uh, used in the lambing uh, state, anywhere between about 35 and 53 percent. So we're kind of, I think, in the heart of that calving season, and this is absolutely what you do not want to deal with, at least as it applies to the Northern Plains this morning there, my friend. No, that is true. Heavy, wet snow, blowing wind, 24 degree weather. None of that is ideal for a newborn baby calf. Greg, once this storm system pushes out of the Northern Plains, can we put a period on winter? Is the snow going to be done for the year? I don't think so. You know, you and I, you and I, you and I have talked about it along with Max Armstrong in the show that this is one of these La Nina years. Cold air likes to pool over the heavy and late season snowpack and snow covers. Uh, Southern Canadian Prairie, Great Lakes region, those cold highs migrate on in. Then you get the usual heat. And I tell you, here's this. Uh, there's a weather saying that uh, dry grounds beget a dry weather pattern. The wet grounds beget a wetter one. But as it applies to the drought areas, yesterday down towards the Garden City and Hutchinson in Kansas, 92 degrees. 60 mile per hour west uh, southwesterly winds blowing dust and sand and all that uh, type of nonsense over some of those extreme drought ridden areas so you get the contrast there's the hot ridge if you will already over parts of the southern plains it'll be building back into the southwestern states the cold air masses that begin here through the northern plains build through the great lakes region you converge those wind fields and i think uh, no we're not done i think with anything regarding the complete total end of snow through the northern plains southern canadian prairie northern great lakes region there might be a couple of snowflakes uh, towards easter and uh, probably the early next week as far south as maybe even the central corn belt locales before we try to get a turnaround in temperatures but that's still a good 10 12 days away and these these set uh, setups here anytime you get this these converging air masses converging wind fields it is usually a wet and active one throw la nina into the picture and that's the cooling of the waters in the uh, central pacific and you have uh, things that are going to be ripe you know at least we're going to ease and, and wind out of the drought i'm really in a, in a camp with that here across the northern plains of dakotas the rest of the upper midwest uh, but probably end up being too much of a good thing over the eastern and southern corn belt and for the central and southern plains i don't know what's going to be left down there because i just don't have a you get past this third and fourth week of the month of april so it becomes more of a popcorn effect on thunderstorm activity organized rains come to a halt so i think that will be an ongoing and recurring headline story as well through the central and southern plains i don't know how much further we can go with the dryness and drought despite some semblance of recent moisture and some of that's come in the form of some severe weather over the past couple of weeks too it has, Greg. It's come with a substantial severe weather, particularly over that eastern corn belt. As you look ahead to this growing season, of course, those farmers in the eastern belt are champing at the bit to get into the fields. Does this wet bias persist on through planting and on into midsummer there wet, uh, east of the Mississippi River? Yeah, you and I have talked about it. We've had it on the extended outlook, and we have those extended outlooks every uh, week on uh, this weekend. Uh, for example, on this week in agribusiness, uh, we'll take you, you know, well into the mid-stretch of the month of May as we're beginning to hit our stride here through the northern plains and should be deep into it with field work and planting season over the Corn Belt locales. And again, I think it's those northern plains, northern through eastern Corn Belt locales uh, that are going to be subject to some 
recurring delays, field work delays, replanting issues in particular this year. It does apply to the northern and eastern Corn Belt locales, Wisconsin, parts of Minnesota, good chunk of Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, and points on eastward. We had some improvement to soils. It's back into wet mode, more severe weather there, by the way, this afternoon and evening time, and they're getting clocked pretty good even as far south and southwest of the current time as uh, Branson, Missouri, and outside of Oklahoma City. Uh, but, yeah, it's that eastern Corn Belt locale that we are at least anticipating uh, a slow and uh, cumbersome and character-building uh, planting season. And as we get deeper into spring and summer, probably more lined up uh, through Michigan, uh, Indiana, and Ohio, but still a good chunk of the eastern Corn Belt, I think, is going to be behind schedule here as we get uh, things a-rolling over the next few weeks. Greg, looking at the western Corn Belt, west of the Mississippi, Iowa, Missouri, Nebraska, Kansas, parts of Oklahoma, of course, the drought is an impact there. Do you foresee a pretty smooth planting period once we get temps up to a point that, that farmers can roll? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, kind of more typical, more normalized spring weather. Now, remember, that you know, we, we get maybe close to maybe three quarters to an inch of rain in some of those western Corn Belt locales, particularly as it applies to maybe eastern and southeastern South Dakota, Minnesota, and Iowa. So I would take a normal pace there. And we've actually seen some marked improvement to the dryness and drought either side of the Red River, good chunk of Iowa, still lingering parts of Minnesota, uh, lingering parts of northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin, but I think that's going to abate quickly here in the next couple of weeks. So it's really west of the Missouri that continues on, but I think more normalized, minimal delays, the typical pace, maybe even accelerated in a couple of spots uh, into the western Corn Belt. The only problem area could be areas in the far south and southwest extreme areas of the Corn Belt down into areas you know south and southwest of the Missouri River through Missouri. So yeah, western areas, okay. Plain states, problems galore with dryness and drought. Eastern area is going to be too much of a good thing as we get going here in the days and weeks to come, my friends. All right, folks, and if you want to keep up with Greg Solier's thoughts, you can catch him each weekend on This Week in Agribusiness. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Anytime, my friend. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We're going to talk inflation with Professor Jason Miller of Michigan State University. It's a story we're going to cover. Tune in to AOA on Thursday. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.